Well, hello. Hey, it's good to see you again. I feel like this should be Family 104 um, as we continue our series on, uh, on the family. And um, I'm just thankful that I, I get to stand up here and share some of the things that the Lord has taught me uh, over the years and that Pastor Tim allows me to do that and give him a break. And I trust that he can uh, relax today and... Um, prop his feet up, so so to speak. Um, so where have we been? Good night. Um, driving this train to engage with families and to talk uh, about what God intends for the family. I'd like to start off this morning by asking you a simple question. Um, if I turn my thing on here. <clears throat> what captures your imagination? Let that sink in for a second. What captures your imagination? When I was uh, a wee boy, I remember seeing some images um, from from a video. And I remember watching those images and I was fascinated. How in the world could this guy do what he was doing? And my heart was captured at that moment when I was probably six. And then I discovered that uh, there was a group of guys, if you're wondering what my heart was captured by, I'll tell you in just a minute. But there was a group of guys that met on Sunday afternoon uh, that were in college and uh, One of my sisters happened to be interested in some of the college guys, and so she took her little brother along. And uh, and I watched them on Sunday afternoons, and my heart was more engaged as I watched and learned. And it was pretty neat. This is what captured my attention as, uh, as a young man. And we'll talk about that here in just a minute. I have to click on this.
as a young boy, <clears throat> I saw those images. Yes, it was a long time ago, and there were black and white images. Um, I was captured by this little round ball and what people could do with it. And when I was six, I began playing with the college guys. My brother would, my, my, my sister would take, uh, take me out and uh, all the college guys would play on, a, on Sunday afternoon and they would be, oh, here's the little kid wants to play and they were nice to me and they'd kick the ball to me. But I started playing when I was six. And the more I played, the more I loved this thing. And, and, and as you, you watch the video, you, that, that's Pele playing the greatest game in the world, by the way. Um, the more I watched that, the more I was engaged and my affections were turned to, to a game. I mean, can you believe it? A, a, a simple game that you're kicking a piece of whatever around, <laughs> a little black and white ball in order to, to get it in a goal. Crazy, but it captured my attention. It captured my heart. And until I was 21, that was pretty much what I lived for. And I had dreams of playing with Pelé. But I didn't want to be him. I didn't want to be like him. I wanted to be the guy that could stop him. Because you saw in the video, he was just making people like idiots. But I could stop him if I worked hard enough. And if I gave myself to it, and, and I, 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 I did, that was it. I ate, slept, ate, slept, drank, trained. Of course, you can't tell it now. Couldn't run from here to the back of the auditorium without, be, without being winded today. And I have no knees. Uh, I have knees, but there's nothing in them, and it's really, really bad. Um, <clears throat> but my, my heart was captured by soccer. If any of you had any time at all to flip on a television yesterday uh, on it, pretty much any of the channels, you saw stadiums full of people, 90,000 here, 80,000 there, 70,000 here, 100,000 somewhere else, of people whose hearts were captured by another game. And today, the same thing, this afternoon, people will pay crazy amounts of money to go and watch a game. Why? Because their hearts are captured by something. And as we talk about, and we, we think about our family, I want you to, just for a moment, I'll give you time, just for a moment, to think about what captures your imagination for your family. When you think about your children, when you think about your grandparents, when you think about uh, perhaps your parents, and your mind engaged regarding the family, is your heart captured? Is your imagination stirred? What could our family be like? 
if the hand of God was on it? What could our family be like? And you fill in the blank. I trust we're trying to stimulate your thinking in this arena. Well, I know it's been a, a, couple, a couple of, well, I don't know how many weeks, six weeks, I think, since we last spoke on this and tried to continue our series. Um, so a quick review this morning. We have determined and looked in the scriptures, and we've determined that a family is God's primary learning community. A family is God's primary learning community. The family is meant to be a place that we continually learn about God, where we're constantly engaging our children about what God is about. We're constantly learning about what God is about, who He is, what His characteristics are, and how that affects our day-to-day life. I remember taking Bryson out as a small boy and walking in the yard and pointing out to him little ants and stuff and saying, hey, do you realize God made this? God made bark on trees. And why we call it bark, I don't know, but images of dogs pop into my head, but it's bark, and we call it bark on trees. And we would take walks, and I would take uh, Colin under my arm as we would sit in church, and the, 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 the preacher would be, be preaching, or the guest would be teaching, and, and I would put my arm around him, and I'd be whispering in his ear constantly, trying to tell him and explain into his little mind what the man was trying to, to, uh, to explain, explain to us about God. A family must continually be learning and be stretched about God. Probably the most uh, vital thing that we could do for our children is to provide for them a biblical worldview so that everything that they do, everything that they see can be filtered through the only book that God ever wrote. What an important, important step for us to do. But the family is also, uh, should also continually be developing relationships. Relationships are the, the glue that holds families together. Relationships are um, best developed in the context of the family. And what an, what an incredible place to learn about God's way of loving our neighbor as ourself. The second command, we love God completely. The second greatest command is to love our neighbor as ourself. And there's no better place to discover that and to find that and to experience that than in the unit that God ordained, the family. Learning how to get along with someone that sometimes you don't like with your brother or your sister. Learning to accept responsibility as parents come and and try and guide uh, young people in the way that they should go. And so there's no better environment to learn God's way of love than in the home. And there's also the family should continually be pointing to the Redeemer continually pointing to the Redeemer. Why? Because we still live in a broken world. We live in a place and a time where things don't always go our way. And many, many times we'll find ourselves in direct opposition to what God has revealed to us. And so in the middle of our brokenness, we must constantly be pushing our, our, our families in the direction of the Redeemer. And those three key things remind us that, hey, the family is God's primary learning community. We have also discussed that uh, we started out in a passage from the book of Judges, and there was a shocking discovery that the first generation of 
Hebrew children that occupied the land of promise that God gave to them eventually turned out as virtual pagans. What a shock. What an amazing thing. Because God had, God had visibly been seen by them in the actions that he did. God rolled back, you know, the river. God rolled back the sea. God provided manna. God did amazing things in the middle of this culture and was interacting with them on a regular basis. And yet the Bible records that the first generation that came into the land turned out to be virtually pagan. And so, as a result, a lesson that we can certainly learn is that if we're not influencing our children for God, they're going to be influenced by someone, period. They're going to be influenced, period. And influence is the byproduct of relationship. We discovered that last, last time. That's why Solomon comes, and uh, Solomon, the smartest man that ever lived, he walks up, and he's talking to his, his sons. He's writing to his sons, and he says, My son, give me your heart. Please, give me your heart. And we discovered the last time that we spoke, we, we looked at Proverbs uh, chapter 4. If you want to turn there, you can. If you, have, uh, if you have a Bible with you, Proverbs chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in a pew around, uh, around you. I also have it on the screen as well. But the, the old Bible that's thick, uh, it's on page 619. A new Bible that's a little bit thinner, looks uh, fairly new. It's on page 514. But Solomon, as he's writing to his sons, he says some interesting things that we discover. He says, he says, my son, pay attention to what I say. Proverbs chapter 4. My son, uh, I think verse 23. Um, my son, pay attention to what I have to say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. Why? For they are life to those who find them, health to one's body. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart for everything that you do. How much is that? Everything. How much is everything? All. <laughs> everything flows from the heart. The truth of the matter is, is that we live out of our hearts. We live out of our hearts. It is the very core of our being. And if you are to trace the streams of everything that we do, if you are to go back and, and trace the streams and the tributaries and go back and found, find the fountainhead of that, it's in the heart. Because everything that we do flows from our heart. When I was in college... I tried to uh, show some pictures here for you. I'll try and get that uh, some other time. I, the connection wasn't working. But when I was in college, my heart was captured. Not by a little round ball, though played ball, ball in college. Um, but it was, it was the first weekend of September in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and my heart was absolutely captured. 
there was a conference that was going on at the school that I was at. And my dad came and visited with me, and in the middle, there's an auditorium of packed out, 6,000 people. My dad comes and sits beside me, and he, after a couple things happened in the service, he elbows me, and he says, hey, you know the girl right there? That's Don Isley's daughter. She just broke her engagement with someone. (laughs) I looked at her, like for the first time, looked at her. She was gorgeous. She had a cobalt blue dress on. She had black patent leather heels on. And she turned around and said something to my dad. And if you've ever seen my wife smile, she has that million dollar smile that lights up the room. (sighs) (laughs) And my breath was gone. My thoughts were gone. I was captured. And I turned into a stalker. (laughs) I've got to find out what in the world is this thing that's standing in front of me? Who is she? And I sought to find everything that I could about her. And I began to pursue her. But knowing, okay, I was raised in a girl's dormitory, four, four sisters kind of thing. So um, God blessed me with being able to talk to young ladies at that time. And, uh, you know, they taught me, my sisters taught me many, many lessons, beat me up frequently. (laughs) And so I knew I had to be very, very careful, you know, just came off this, this relationship and whatnot. So I proceeded to begin to date her and her two best friends, take them out, do stuff, But there was always just a little tiny extra thing that I would try to do to catch her attention, to perhaps capture her heart, those kind of things. And I was was absolutely smitten. And the more more time that I spent with her, the more things that I did with her, the more I engaged her in conversation and we walked and we talked and I smelled her and saw her and I'm telling you, I, I, was, I was done. I was smitten, you know, because I'd already, you know, been throughout the whole relationship and relationship and it doesn't work and God, I'm never going to get married. <clears throat> and it happened. And I had someone that smiled back at me and someone that engaged with me at a heart level. Oh, I was, I was, I was absolutely done. God designed that that our hearts can be captured. God designed that those kinds of things would happen. I was living out of my heart. My heart was on my sleeve and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It was, it was good. You can ask her about it some other time. It's good stuff. I was living out of my heart, womb, like crazy. Do you know the Bible is absolutely smack dab full of the subject, not Angela and I, but full of heart stuff. 
we live out of our heart and we can turn with our heart and we can worship with our heart and we can sing with our heart. All kinds of things that flow from the heart. And this morning, I want to share with you a simple thought, a very simple thought, and I want you to chew on it as we go through the next few minutes sharing about this thought. We tend to worship what captures our heart. We tend to worship what captures our heart. Now, the scripture has a lot to say about the heart. I just want to give, share a couple of verses with you. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. God comes to Samuel. He's about to choose a new king. And God says this, Don't consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look on the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. First Kings chapter 8. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he never leave us or forsake us. May he turn our hearts to him, to walk in all his ways, to keep the commands, decrees, and regulations that he gave our fathers. Boy, there's, we live out of our heart, and the scripture is telling that to us over and over again. Jesus, in his teachings, in Matthew chapter 15, says this, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And notice the connection between heart and worship. They worship me in vain. Later on in the, 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 the chapter, it says this. The things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And so God, in his wisdom and love, had designed our hearts to absolutely be captured by him. He designed that our affections, our imaginations, be dazzled by Him. If you go back and study what God's plan was in Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, and Genesis chapter 3, God designed that our hearts engage with Him and that our hearts worship Him. And He made a perfect environment for man to live in, created it perfectly for him, for man to live in, and yet man's heart was deceitful. If you study this out, it's a very, very interesting study to study Eve ate of the tree first. Adam followed and ate the tree, ate, ate, ate the fruit of the tree. <laughs> he may have eaten the tree because he was so enraptured by Eve, okay? But I want you to get this. Adam's heart chose Eve over God in the perfect environment. And as a result, the world has been broken ever since. An amazing study. And God says that Adam 
is the father of all this sin. Adam is the one that's responsible, not Eve, even though Eve did it first. Adam is the one that's responsible. Kind of stinks for us dads. Boy, what a responsibility we as dads and parents and fathers, future fathers, future fathers have. What a responsibility on man. To make sure that our affections are first and foremost towards God and not something else, even the one that God gave to us in the most intimate of settings. What a challenge. As a result of that sin that came into the garden, we live in a culture whose heart is broken, damaged, darkened. The Bible says it like this. Romans chapter 1. Let me, read, let me read this passage to you. Romans chapter 1. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Later on in the passage, it says this. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Our tendency... As human beings, because of the way that God designed us, is to worship the things that capture our heart. Our tendency is to worship things that captures our heart. Now, in the context of what we're speaking on the family, as a parent, it's easy to bow down to another God than the one and living God. We have a tendency sometimes, I I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to have idols that are in my own heart. Not necessarily things that are bad, but idols that I can bow down to. Success. We can be driven so hard. I can be driven so hard to to be successful that you give and sacrifice everything for the success. As a young man, that's what I did in the pursuit of the little black and white ball. I didn't care about anybody else. I didn't care. I, I, I didn't. I I really didn't care about God. I didn't care about anything else. The little ball was my God. And I gave everything to be successful at that. And I remember one, one particular time, my coach yanked me out of a game. I was just being competitive. But a guy from Tampa Prep had a breakaway, was coming from the other, the other side, and I'll remember it like it was yesterday. I called him. 
I gave him the legal shoulder charge that you can, but I grabbed his jersey. Kind of sneaky. I was a little sneaky thing. I grabbed his jersey and gave him the shoulder charge and overtook him, and he tumbled, and we tumbled, and the ball harmlessly rolled to our keeper, and he picked it up and booted it out and redistributed it, and I was like, yes, I am awesome. <laughs> and the next thing I knew, I'm getting substituted for, and my coach pulled me over, and he stood nose to nose to me, and he says, we don't do that here, and he sat me for the rest of the half. And I sat there and I fumed and I was angry. I saved a goal. Are you kidding me? He got his message through. And I came back and I apologized. And... But what a lesson to learn. I was so driven to be successful there. As parents, we can be so uh, driven by perhaps the idol of respect or comfort do we demand things from other people? The respect. <laughs> I had, a, I had a, a, a father that was sitting in my office one day in another state. And he was just angry. If it's the last thing that I'm going to get, I'm going to get my son to respect me. And I was like, whoa. What a war we're about to have. And he was just, he was just fuming. And I, and I felt sorry for him because he was bowing down to the idol of respect. Not a bad thing, but that was his idol. As a young person in high school, I clearly remember the idol of acceptance I, I, I wanted everybody to love me, to think that I was great and was driven by acceptance. There's the idol of possessions, all kinds of idols that if you take an honest look in the mirror, like I do, I can see there are many idols that I have in my heart that I could yield myself to and what a battle it is to fight that. And if our hearts are captured by those, those smaller idols, we begin to worship them and we're missing out on the grace that could be ours. It's a really cool verse in the book of jo Jonah. Chapter 2, I think it's verse 8. And it says something like this, those... Where is it? I think I have it written down. This is important. Yes. <clears throat> Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Boy, what a powerful verse. Think about that. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Over the years... Um, Angela and I have had the joy and privilege of working in church ministry. And as we direct our children, I had a great trip with Bryson 
wanting to go look at a college this week. And as we, as we drove and we came back and, and we're sharing and Angela's asking a hundred questions, you know, what, what went on and how did it go? And what do you think? And, you know, is this, is this right? And all that. We were talking about our lives and how we want to be really, really careful with both of our, our boys. That just because she's got, you know, three generations on her side of people that have been in full-time ministry positions. Uh, I come from a history of, of, of that as well. And just because we're, 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 we're there, we don't want to say, hey, Colin, Bryson, this is what you have to do. This is what you need to do. Or this is the only thing that you, 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 you know, so that you have to do this. We're praying that God will capture their hearts and their minds and just because we have been involved in this doesn't mean that you have to say, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, I can't do that. We want them to find God's best. We want God to capture their hearts and to ignite a passion and a fire for him as they are, are launching out. But in the middle of that sharing, we were, we were expressing to them that, you know, this whole ministry thing is something that has captured our hearts and God has called us to do this. And there's nothing else that I would rather do. There's nothing else that I, I could see myself doing than working in church ministry and loving people and coming alongside people. And I think God has, has called us and equipped us over the years to, to do this kind of thing. And this, what, this is God's passion that burns in our hearts. And by the way, we love you. We, we're so thrilled to be part of your lives. And this is what, what drives us, what gets us up in the morning. We go to bed at night praying about this, this stuff that's going on in our head. And we're, we wake up in the middle of the night thinking about people. And that's what God has, has, has done for us and has placed this passion to do something because of this incredible God that poured out his grace on our lives. And we tend to worship what captures our hearts. And when, I, when, I was, when my heart was captured by Angela <laughs> in college, I began to do stuff. You know how you do stuff when you're dating? Just doing stuff. Planning out every detail of this buying endless flowers, planning every step. We're going to go here, and we're going to do this, we're going to go here, and we're going to do this. And the more I did it, the more I was engaged with this person, the more my heart was, was absolutely captured. And I share all that to say this. I believe that we tend to worship what captures our heart. And I'm holding up before you that... Our hearts are ultimately supposed to be captured by God. As a parent, as a father, as a future parent, as a human being, our hearts are supposed to be captured by this incredible God in all his greatness and glory. And we are to live our lives to reflect that greatness and glory and, and reflect it to the world around us.
But in the context of the family, how do we do that? I believe that when we, if we tend to worship what captures our heart, the more we do things in that vein, the more our hearts are going to be shaped to continually follow after God. For instance, I know that if there's conflict that's in my home and in my life, I'm probably bound down to another God. I'm probably bound down to my pride or my selfishness or something else. James says it, says it this way. In James chapter 4, James says, um, where do fightings and quarrels come from? Don't they come with the crazy family that you live with? No. It says, where does all that conflict come from? Read it, James chapter 4. It comes from uh, within, within our heart. And later in that passage, God says, submit yourself to God and he'll raise you up. There's the solution. Submit yourself to God, he'll raise you up. I know that sometimes... My boys and I have gotten into it. And I know that if I'm bowing down to the wrong God, I'll become adversarial in my approach. I'll be short with them. My temper will be aroused, elevated. And moments of opportunity... Moments of ministry will turn into moments of anger for me. Back to the whole context of the family. We're all constantly learning about things. So how do you and I do this? How do you and I do this? I think it beautifully brings us back to the passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Kind of where we launched from. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. How do you impress them to your children? Impress them to your children. How? Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. The more you do this pointing to God on a regular basis in the context of the home, the more that we're aware, the more that we engage with the things of God, the, the, the creation of God, the more we'll be able to point our kids to the creator rather than the creation. And because our hearts are so tended to be dazzled to be captured by other things. Boy, there's a world of things that are out there that's vying for your, 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 your child's attention. There's a world of stuff that's, that's, that's trying to get their, their affections. And we must tie them to God daily, daily, daily. We tend to worship what's our heart. Very quick question as we close. For you, what captures your imagination? 
what captures your affections. What is it when your mind, when there's a moment of downtime, where does your mind go? Could I say, and could I encourage you to take time to meditate on God's Word? Could I encourage you to constantly push to the forefront, push to the forefront of what you're doing and what you're thinking? This amazing Creator who loves us, who gave Himself for us, He's all around. And if we simply, simply can recognize the opportunities, we'll be able to lift up that great name over and over and over and over again. For it is only by that name, the name of Jesus, that we can know true life, true love, true peace in the midst of this crazy world that we live in. Our Father, Lord, thank you so much that you are the God who loves us, who is vying for our attention and our brokenness. Lord, I thank you for how you interact with us so gently, how you designed us to be captured by you. And I pray, Father, that we would not waste our time, waste our efforts on worthless gods, on idols of the heart. And may our hearts be captured with who you are. May our hearts be and our affections be set on the things that you have given to us and for us. And may we live lives worthy of that calling. We love you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.